The entire retail economy, the entire premise that retail was built upon was a premise of scarcity. This is Doug Stevens. He's the founder of Retail Profit and an expert on the future of retail. Flash forward to today, and we now live in an economy that is based fundamentally on abundance. The consumer no longer lives in a vacuum of scarcity. They have a supercomputer at their fingertips, uh, virtually anything they want, from products to services to information, are as close as their smartphone. And so uh, retail now is is, uh, having to adapt to the fact that there is this universe of alternatives to virtually every single thing that is sold. Welcome to Moonshot. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. On this episode of Moonshot, big ideas changing how we shop for what we need and what we arguably might not, but still add to the cart anyway. And we all know that technology has been causing many issues for traditional retail stores. After all, why buy in a shop when you can so conveniently purchase from home in your underwear? But despite this ever-increasing demise of physical retail, there's been something interesting happening in the past few years. And surprise, surprise, it involves Amazon. This could be the future of retail. Walking into a store, picking up what you want and just walking out. The bill straight to your credit card, an instant receipt on your phone. Amazon's downtown eatery looks like a higher-end convenience store. Just scan your Amazon Go app for entry. So why exactly is Amazon moving into the dying retail sector? We'll find out right after a word from our sponsors. you don't want it, and somehow it magically knows everything that you've bought. That's YouTuber Angel Wong talking about her first time in an Amazon Go cashierless store, where there are no checkouts, no waiting in line, and no loose change. It's a bold and interesting move for the giant of online retail, going back to the future, really, into a traditional shop front. So how does it work? We used computer vision, deep learning algorithms, and sensor fusion, much like you'd find in self-driving cars. We call it Just Walk Out Technology. The first Amazon Go store opened in September 2018 near Amazon's headquarters in Seattle. The goal is maximum simplicity. Customers walk into the store, scanning their phone on the way in. Cameras then track your every move. And as you pick up items, they're recognized and added to your shopping cart. If you change your mind and you put the item back on the shelf, it's removed. And then when you're ready to leave, you just walk out. All without needing to deal with a human cashier or mess around with self-checkouts. The ghost stores are designed to apply the same ease of shopping Amazon is known for to the physical supermarket and grocery world. And their experiment is growing fast. Amazon have now added another eight locations after the original in Seattle. But that's not to say that the system is entirely foolproof. But even if they get it wrong, Amazon is so confident in their system that they're happy to just wear the cost as explained by YouTuber Linus Sebastian. So Amazon is actually so confident in their system that they've built in a feature where if for whatever reason you're charged for something that you didn't take, you can actually just remove it and 
crazily enough, they're using the honor system, which if you think about it, actually isn't that crazy. Because it's tied into your Prime account, which is tied into your credit card, Amazon can use machine learning, not to mention just common sense, in order to figure out if people are abusing the system. But Amazon aren't first across the line here. The trend first started in South Korea back in 2011. Grocery giant Tesco's South Korean branch, Home Plus, launched the first virtual store in a subway station in Seoul. Customers could look at a poster of different food items, scan a QR code, and have the food delivered to their home. Now, Bingo Box is another player cashing in on the cashierless concept. The Chinese company has raised close to $100 million to roll out their store-in-a-box concept across China. They've already got hundreds of locations. Shoppers simply use a code to enter the kiosk-like shopfront, and a machine-learning-powered checkout counts the items at the end. Other companies have also been exploring the use of virtual reality to recreate the physical shopping environment. In 2016, Chinese online retailer Alibaba launched Buy Plus, a virtual reality store created by their in-house VR department, Gnome Magic Lab. In 2016 too, eBay created a VR shopping experience in partnership with Australian retailer Maya. Other companies are approaching retail in an entirely different way by bringing not just a package, but the entire store right to your door. Swedish startup Wheelies is creating a self-service supermarket that comes to you. It's called the Moby Mart, and their alpha flagship actually moves locations throughout the day. You walk up to the Moby Mart and access it with a mobile app. You then make your purchases with your phone and leave. Moby Mart also has some similar concepts to Bingo Box, which can be installed in specific locations like near a car park. While all these new variations of retail are promising, the cashierless store Amazon is promoting and investing in has quickly become the most popular. And while the idea of walk-in and walk-out shopping seems simple, in reality, it actually takes some adjustment and getting used to. A lot of people at first kind of felt a little weird about it. They felt like they were stealing. Um, and what we learned from that is like, touch points are really important and giving a user feedback that they actually shop in the store. But eventually over time, as customers started coming back more and more, they really liked the fact that they could just like grab something really quickly and go. So they'll be in between meetings, they wanted to just grab a toilet and walk out. Um, they weren't wasting 10 to 15 minutes um, just standing in a checkout line. That's Tony Francis, co-founder of Inokyo. Inokyo is a cashierless checkout technology that allows users to scan into a store, grab what they want, and walk out. In a way, it's kind of similar to Amazon Go. Where did the idea for the store come about? So when we were looking at different problems to work on, my co-founder and I come from a technical um, machine learning background from Carnegie Mellon. And we wanted to be in a space that really utilized our backgrounds. And when we were looking at different trends in the space and what was happening, this was by far one of the most interesting machine learning and user experience problems we could tackle. And when you start to look at the market, human labor costs is one of the biggest um, expenditures for retailers and it caused many of them to go out of business. And what we were talking to retailers, they really saw that for them to survive, um, automation was a key part of their futures. And so we started to build this technology um, in that direction. Inokyo's concept looks and feels very similar to the Amazon Go experience. But unlike Amazon, who are designing their entire stores from scratch, Inokyo is developing a concept that can be implemented into any store. The goal is that a retailer can simply install the equipment and be able to quickly catch up. 
So in five years, I'm going to, I would predict that many of the retail stores that we have are going to be autonomous. It just fundamentally changes the economies of how you run a store. So, but where this kind of goes after that is this is going to open up a lot of new types of store concepts because retailers don't have the same restrictions on like location, square footage, and labor constraints that typically, typically come with brick and mortar. Um, so their focus is going to shift from optimizing margins to creating better experiences. So where this technology goes in the future is going to be kind of powering those experiences and creating something that customers really like interacting with. Can you just sort of like walk me through like what is the experience like for a user that might walk into a cashierless store? So for a cashierless store, um, a lot of them are going to be app-based. For us specifically, um, we had our own um, Nokia app, which you would download and use uh, authorize a payment like Apple Pay. And when you walk into the store, you simply scan the phone. And at that point, the system would start tracking you. And after that point, it's kind of just like shopping in a normal store. You just kind of grab what you want. But the difference is uh, when you're done, you're not standing in a checkout line. You simply walk out and get on with your day. As Tony mentioned a bit earlier, one of the issues with cashierless stores is how people adjust to actually using them. During the three-month concept store that they ran, the team from Inokio noticed that people had trouble working out whether the store actually registered the products they were buying. So they ended up adding back in a manual touchpoint on the way out to give people the feeling that they were making a purchase. Yeah, we added this like checkout point where you'd scan your phone again. And then as our system became more and more real-time, we were able to like kind of give a push notification and be like, hey, thanks for shopping. Um, and it started to alleviate that anxiety that people had. So you said you track people. So how does that work uh, in a practical level in, in the store? And how much sort of information on me, the user, are you, are you tracking when I'm inside the shop? Yeah, that's a good question. So in the store, we basically outfit it with standard off-the-shelf security cameras. Um, so for like 800 square feet, you have 20 cameras. And what the system does, the rest of it is all in software. And we kind of just identify someone anonymously. So it's not like, hey, this is um, you based upon what you look like or your, any facial recognition. We simply know that when you check in with your phone, um, this is the credit card associated with this anonymous person that's walking around. Um, and at that point, the system can kind of just figure out what you've picked up and what you've taken with you. And at the end of the store, uh, when you walk out, it just kind of charges the card for those products that you took. And no information regarding who you are, that purchase history is really stored. It's just for that individual uh, transaction. For some people, the idea of shopping without talking to anyone is a thrill. Whereas for others, it's a phenomenon that requires caution. I would be more interested in Amazon Go if they had a like a like a testing store in Melbourne to see what it's like. Because um, there's so many things that I'm unsure about. Like, how is it going to be quicker than going through a normal store? Um, you know, like, how easy it is to access and everything. Um, but the idea of it sounds really good. And I like the idea of just walking in and just picking something off. And it just gets charged through your Amazon account. Yeah, it's doable. If the availability was as good as online. Um... I don't know, really. I'd have to experience that. Actually, I quite like the interaction uh, with people in, in the shop. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'd enjoy that or not. It'd probably depend on what I was buying. If it was something that um, I wanted some advice or information on, I'd probably think, the, you know, for me, the interaction would be important. We all know that some segments of retail have long transitioned to online and disappeared altogether. And while we're happy to give up buying the latest release on disc and stream it instead... 
there are still moments where physical retail holds the advantage. People have this concept that everything is shifting uh, online, yet you're working on like a physical retail store technology and like Amazon is working on physical retail technology. Like how important is the retail store uh, in the future? Yeah, um, I think this is actually super interesting and in that people kind of incorrectly predicted that everything would come simply online and every delivery was the way of the future. But there's you're still going to shop in stores for high-touch products and things that you want to buy very quickly in the moment. It's not like you're going to go um, Instacart a pack of gum when you're on your way to the bar. And I think what, Insta- um, what Amazon recognized and what uh, other retailers and brands recognize is that it's not about simply just having an e-commerce presence, but really moving into omni-channel where you can buy things in physical retail or experience them in physical retail and also have that online option. But when we're working on a cashless experience, this is really focused on those um, those high frequency buys, something that you just want to quickly like grab and go. Your convenience stores are still going to be around and the value add doesn't change. It just becomes more efficient. Welcome to the Everywhere Always Open Shop. This idea of omnichannel retailers could also combat the growing trend of showrooming, where people try on a product in store before buying it online at a lower price. Sneaker Boy is a luxury sneaker retailer in Australia that wants to give customers the best of both worlds. Here's Chris Kavados, founder of the company, talking at a DLD conference in 2014. Okay, so how does a new retail business look today and how does it function? So we thought we need to be as efficient and convenient as an online retailer, yet we want the physical tangibility of physical retail stores. So what we came up with were physical stores that are run on an online platform. What's the purpose of a physical retail store? It's there for experience, people to experience your brand, and for tangibility, it's there for people to experience products, to shop socially, things you can't do online. At Sneaker Boy, customers don't actually leave with any kind of product. The idea is that you walk in and you try on shoes in any size or style that you want. Every single size is available in the store for you to try on. And if you want to buy the product, then you must order it through the online shop. And Doug Stevens says that this is a unique retail experience that simply can't be replicated online. What Chris managed to do there is he broke the script in the shoe category. In, in the shoe category, the, the typical script that the consumer runs through in their mind is that I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to find a shoe that I like, I'm going to ask for my size, and they won't have it. So he basically, he broke the script and created, in, in doing so, he created an entirely different shoe buying experience and obviously one that people are responding to. Mm, I know that's something that like, I personally find super frustrating. Like, I, you, you go to the Nike store or, or Adidas and you go in there expecting to be able to try on this great new shoe and then, oh, no, everyone's bought the size 12s. Like- <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, and as it turns out, I wear a 12 too and that's exactly my problem. <laughs> They'll say, we have it, but we have it in a size 8. You know, so... Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. And again, this is why it, it's not about what you sell necessarily, right? Like I said, I mean, there's nothing really that Chris sells at Sneaker Boy that you couldn't potentially get somewhere else. But what he's done is he's changed the way he sells it. He's, he's re-engineered the experience. And he's done that by kind of analyzing 
what are the pain points? What are the typical pain points that people have? And how could I potentially design an experience that eliminates that friction and at the same time creates an element of experiential delight? Um, And I mean, Chris is really doing some cool stuff too, like actually allowing, uh, he's kind of partnering up with some of his own customers who like to trade in sneakers and they like to like to sell sell their own sneakers so he's saying well look you know we have space you can come in be a part of our ecosystem um, you can sell to your customers and we can sort of have this symbiotic relationship where you know as the sea level rises so do all the ships and so he's being very very adventurous and and kind of courageous in in rolling out these new customer experience models The idea of working with the customer to sell their products isn't a concept most retailers would embrace. But by creating this two-way marketplace for customers to buy and sell, Sneaker Boy has also effectively created a community. So I think retail is now stepping in to say, look, maybe brands can come in and fill the void now. Uh, where where people may have lost uh, faith in their local governments or their uh, or their federal governments or their churches or their institutions, their universities, retail can now come in and provide people with um, a place where they can can feel like they're with people with, uh, who share their values and and their mores. So um, this this notion of community is is very important now in uh, in, in in the retail sector. And that concept of building community is something that other stores are really embracing. And we'll explore more on that in just a moment. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Andrew Moon. And before the break, we were looking at how some stores are bringing shoppers further into the fold by forming a layer of community around their brands, and for good reason. See, it turns out Lil Pump was onto something. It's no longer enough to shop somewhere. You need to be part of the brand's gang, part of their community. Here's Doug Stevens again. We live in a world now where consumers really no longer need what you sell. If they don't buy it from you, they can easily find someone else. In that world, if we recognize that consumers no longer need what we sell, uh, I I believe that the unique selling proposition now is, is about how we sell what we sell. That the differentiator between one brand and another is is less about product, and it's now more about the experience of buying the product, the values of the brand that is selling the product, and the sense of community that I, as a consumer, get by becoming part of your brand franchise. So it's a uh, it's just a completely different universe now that brands have to operate in. And when it comes to building community, there's probably no bigger brand focused on this retail concept than Apple. This is our store. Every product we make is in this first 25% of the store. You can see the whole product line. Now there's 36 computers on display in the store. Every single one of them is connected to the internet. So you can go up to any computer and start surfing. And so we're hoping this is going to be an entirely new thing. That was a very enthusiastic Steve Jobs introducing his new Apple Store model way back in 2001. 
Companies like Apple are championing the idea of community rather than impersonal, transactional, and quick interactions. And if you've ever been in an Apple store, you would know that there's rarely anywhere busier. In recent years, the company's been taking their stores to the next level too, turning them into almost town centers, where you don't just go into the store to buy something or get your Mac fixed, where you go there for talks, events, or concerts. You know, Apple's a great example. And, and um, in fact, when you, when you look at what Apple did, the list goes on and on and on about how they actually fundamentally re-engineered the mechanics of the experience. A lot of stores are starting to look like Apple stores. Uh, certainly mobile POS and things like that are, are no longer novelties. And, and I, I think that they're quite right by saying, you know, look, um, our store is the new town center. Our store is a place where people can, can enjoy a sense of community, uh, where they can come to be inspired, to learn, uh, to, to, to be active in their communities. And, and we as Apple are not just a, a producer and seller of computers. We, we are a, a business that trades in ideas, uh, we're a business that, that trades in the, that giving people that sense of community. There are now 497 Apple stores in 22 countries around the world, and Apple has gradually been upgrading them to their new town centre design. The first of these new stores opened on May 19, 2016 at Union Square in San Francisco. And with each upgrade, the company is incorporating more and more of their vision of what an Apple town centre could look like. Many of them are filled with trees, and instead of genius bars, they have genius groves. But not all of Apple's moves to build these town centres have gone down well with the public. Apple has taken a second bite and changed the design for its controversial flagship store, planned for Federation Square in Melbourne. The new floating rectangular building replaces the unpopular design previously unveiled, dubbed the Pizza Hut Pagoda. In Melbourne, Australia, Apple has been planning to put a flagship retail town centre into Federation Square, a cultural hub in the city. It's a public space used for mainly events filled with cafes and important cultural institutions. And many have said that Apple feels kind of out of place with the rest of the businesses in this precinct. At this stage, the store is still going ahead, but Apple has a lot of work to do to bring the public on board. While this town hall style works for Apple, it could be an anomaly in the retail world. Unlike others, Apple has the benefit of being the only experts on their product, while others, however, don't have that luxury of an exclusive product and are simply trying to adapt. You know, we sort of treat this whole notion of of online stores versus physical stores as a bit of a binary argument. And I don't believe that it's actually binary in nature. I think that what's actually happening is something that's infinitely more complex, but it's also more optimistic for the industry. I think that what's actually happening is that media in in all of its various forms, whether it's my smart TV or my mobile device or a, a mad, an ad in a magazine that is you know, activated by my smartphone or whatever the case may be, all forms of media are becoming, quote unquote, the store. In the consumer's mind, the, the store is really wherever they happen to be. You know, and, and if they have their mobile device with them, well, they're at the store. In an increasing way, that is becoming 
the, the case. But by corollary, what's happening, in my opinion, is that this does not this does not vacate the need for physical retail, but it changes the nature and purpose of it. And I think that the flip side is that physical stores are actually becoming a media channel. And you could argue that Apple is certainly one of them. I would argue that that is probably the most powerful form of media that a brand like Apple uh, or, you know, um, the list goes on. I mean, it can apply to any retailer. It's the most powerful form of media that they have at their disposal. But it means that they now need to think about the purpose of these stores as being wholly different than they have been in the past. The purpose is no longer simply to distribute products as we can do that. Uh, we can do that via online. The purpose now is to distribute experiences. The idea of real-world stores becoming media outlets looks like a natural progression in the retail evolution. But as is commonly the case, and as we've been talking about, it looks like the big guys will have the upper hand. And how is everyone else reacting? Well, I mean, for, first, I, I suppose by freaking out. Um, you know, I mean... Um, you know, in, in, in many ways, this in, in one fell swoop makes a lot of retail look very archaic by comparison. And Amazon comes along and they, they just look at everything like it's uh, a software fix. You know, they, they deal with these tremendous uh, embedded problems in, in a given industry and they just treat it like, yeah, this is just a software upgrade. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll kill this problem with technologies. Thanks to our guests in this episode, Doug Stevens and Tony Francis. It's also worth mentioning that we did reach out to both Apple and Amazon to participate in this story, but they both declined to comment. This episode of Moonshot was hosted and edited by me, Christopher Lawson, along with Andrew Moon. Research and scripting by Jasmine Mee Lee. And additional production work from Caroline Ho. Music in this episode from Breakmaster Cylinder and also Epidemic Sound. And our cover artwork is by Andrew Millist. Join us next time on Moonshot as we look at a future that just keeps on replicating and replicating and replicating. See you then. Moonshot.